This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Sourcing Journal Radio our weekly check-in with apparel insiders and thought leaders, which spotlights a variety of topics currently driving change in the market. This podcast series is made possible by Cotton Incorporated, a not-for-profit company funded by U.S. cotton producers and importers whose mission is to increase the demand and profitability of cotton. Discover what cotton can do. Welcome, everyone. I am Edward Hertzman, founder and president of Sourcing Journal. Today, we will discuss data and how apparel and footwear companies can use it both from the product development and allotment side, as well as from a marketing and personalization standpoint. We're joined by Jose Chan, vice president of business development at Select, a data analytics firm that draws insightful information from big data to improve same-store sales and increase online conversion. We also have Guido Campello, CEO of Cosabella Brand, which offers intimates, loungewear, sleepwear, and activewear. Under Campello, the company has expanded from solely wholesale into private label, licensing, and direct-to-consumer. Jose, um, let's kick it off with you. Um, There's been a lot of talk about data analytics over the last uh, few years. And much of it has made it sound like the cure-all for retail. But cutting through the hype, just just really in layman's terms, can you tell us what you do using data? Absolutely, Edward. That's a really good question. So what we're doing is we're optimizing inventory across the supply chain uh, for retailers, both in-store and online. And what we're really doing is answering four key questions that they have. Uh, The first one is, what to buy. The second one is how much to buy. The third one is where to put the product once it's purchased. And lastly, if ordering online, should an order be fulfilled from a store or a DC? And if so, which one? And so we're using, uh, one last point is uh, data that customers already have. We're using their own data. And it's need not be, so you're probably asking yourself, um, okay, Jose, what, what kind of data? Well, it's, it's their own inventory, it's their own product attribute, and it's their own uh, 
let's say, transactional data that we use as a basis, and everything else is icing on the cake. One other thing is online data is also very helpful. So, Guido, if, if, if um, I wanted to give you a chance to, to answer that same question. What does data mean for you and your company? Uh, data means many things for uh, you know, a small family-owned company. One, uh, it means that we can learn a lot in a very efficient manner about how to react uh, in a cost-efficient way to improve our collections, improve our production capacity, improve uh, which retailers uh, we would prefer to work with based on uh, you know, all, all product segments and pricing and margin and so forth. But it also presents you know, a, a sometimes what seems to be an insurmountable mountain because you can have uh, you know, what we like to call analysis paralysis. And that is there's so much good or interesting data there that sometimes you hesitate to take those decisions that in the fashion industry, you need to take fairly quickly. And the beautiful thing about fashion and trend is a lot of it is relies on, on your five senses and, or even your six senses and, uh, and a lot of instinct. And data sometimes can confirm that or it can also cause some of that confusion and make you rethink. And uh, the challenge that we have as a small company is do we have the resources to be able to take all that information and use it in a quick and efficient way? Uh, and do we have... You know, do we give enough time for our team to be able to do that and then react creatively uh, and accomplish what they need to? So I, I think you just brought up a very uh, interesting point. And, and Jose, I want to I want to kind of ask you this. Um, you know, one of the things I constantly hear is that apparel and footwear brands are hiring companies like Select, like yours, uh, but they haven't figured out how to successfully execute on the insights they get from the data. Are you finding this to be true? Are there areas that are particularly difficult for companies to execute on? That's a really good question. So really, it becomes uh, difficult if you're not addressing a concrete problem. So I think part of it is that um, it's not just, look, it's plug and play, let's see what works. But it's actually first, before even getting any technology, involved. It's like, okay, what is my particular problem or set of problems? And then pick one of those problems and address the problem. Then the next piece becomes not not only addressing that problem once it's defined very concretely, it's then surgically um, looking for some sort of technology, and it need not always be technology, uh, but let's say it is, for argument's sake, technology that might solve this particular problem. And then this technology then has to become part of the process. So it's part of changing uh, mindsets, if you will, a little bit. In addition, it's important to start small, right? So it's a, a small test um, in order to make sure that the concrete problem is being addressed. And once the small step is taken, the next piece is to iterate. Okay, so it may be successful. Great. If it is, expand it a little bit. In, at the same time, what has to be done in order to alleviate uh, some of these, um, let's say, friction points that, that may be um, part of the, the process would be something has to be tracked and measured against. And this is key because then, then you'll know if it's a successful endeavor that you're embarking upon. And then also, as part of this process, I would say the last point to consider is that um, companies also have to have support, both 
across the organization and top down. So executive support and tactical support in order to make um, this, you know, something. So, so when I think of data analytics, uh, I look at it as potentially solving two problems or helping to, to, to solve two problems. One would be the front end of the business, which is marketing, helping to um, improve conversions um, at, at, the, you know, at a point of sale, and then a product development standpoint, helping uh, buyers, um, sourcing the sourcing departments, the product development departments, make more informed purchasing decisions on the back end. So Jose, when your clients come to you, do you feel that they're looking to really use data to help is it more from a marketing standpoint? Is it more from a sourcing standpoint? Is it a little bit of both? Really good question. On our end, it's more the latter. So you mentioned the front end. It's not that. We're helping more on the product uh, development, but more specifically, we're working in the merchandising, planning, and allocation process, right? For the what to buy, how much to buy, where to put it. That's part of the merchandising, planning, and allocation process, which actually feeds back to the planning of a collection. So the collection's already uh, being purchased. Um, so it's really the, the head of planning that would use something like this. On the fulfillment component, which is if you're buying online, where do you fulfill from? What we're really talking about is um, you know, heads of, of e-com supply chain that are looking for ways to optimize their inventory uh, more specifically. So Jose, can you walk me through this for a second? What I'm trying to understand is how could... How can a company, you know, um, better improve their inventory position or improve speed to market using data? So what type of information are you getting or your customers getting from using um, your software? It's a really good question. So what, what we're really doing um, is predicting future demand. So we start at the beginning of the planning process. So ahead of planning, uh, along with the buying team, we'll look at what should be purchased so one of the solutions that we have where we start would be planning. Um, if you're looking more concretely, let's say we're planning fall, winter 2020, uh, you'd probably look at fall, winter 2019 data in order to predict fall, winter 2020, along with some spring, summer data. There's some sprinkling, right? So it's backwards looking information. Where we're coming into the process is we're taking a customer's own data and we're helping them uh, through our solutions, predict the future demand of what their buy should look like. We're not telling them specifically, look, if, if, it's, if fuchsia is the color of the season, we're not really, and it's not in your data, and that just happens to be on the runway, we, we can't predict that. But there, what we believe is that there are elements of what's happening already in your data. There are trends that could be found in your data. And so we take the approach that we're using your data coupled with human intuition, which is the buying team, in order to make an informed decision of the future. We find this to be the most, uh, let's say, powerful predictor of the future um, for a buying team. And that's in the planning uh, process, for example. Guido, you guys use an AI tool called Albert. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, we do. And, and can you just explain to me um, what, what Albert is? And, and how you guys utilize that? So Albert, Albert was a tool, or is a tool that we utilized uh, for about 11 months uh, straight. And what it allowed us to do was have a 24-7 engaged AI uh, individual, right? This person named Albert. 
who would be able to support all of our ad spend. Uh, and that was across Google AdWords, Facebook. Uh, and it allowed us to take advantage of great and efficient ad spend based on, you know, the off hours that you couldn't have an agency or a true, uh, let's say, a real person work uh, consistently. And also it was always looking for and learning uh, the kind of words or uh, search terms that we could take advantage of where there was probably decent traffic and people weren't able to convert and find the results they were looking for. And what that gave us was one, uh, you know, a significant return in traffic to our site, some great uh, growth in our revenue. Uh, but ultimately, it also opened up, you know, some of the niches that we needed to go after and help us grow. And we do have some product segments that grew out of that. So you're really using data here for more of a front end to help uh, on the conversions on the marketing end. Is that correct? Albert was giving us that. And what it ended up doing was giving us a deep dive. Uh, and, and I, and I, I'm convinced that, you know, with the, with, with the right machine learning technology uh, you know, it'll really allow you to, to go all the way through the organization. And, uh, and we saw some of the small effects I do I do have my skepticism on what is machine learning and what is more maybe mathematical and algorithmic approach. Um, but we definitely take that data and, and see it affect the final consumer in product that we're creating because of that data. Now, I've heard people say that they're able to scrape, you know, the Googles and the Instagrams and the Pinterest of the world. And let's say, you know, a denim, dra- denim jackets are trending right now. And that may you know, they'll turn that, that data over to their marketing department and they'll say, hey, on a CPC basis or, you know, increase your spend to try to, you know, promote more of our denim product to, to improve conversions. Is that kind of what Albert allowed you guys to do? It allowed us to do that and it allowed us to see what uh, words, ideas or trends were actually community driven. Where was there an interaction or a reaction based on commentary on the ads uh, or based on, the storytelling we were doing and that allowed us to grow or shrink specific product. It allowed us to see if product would work or not. Um, and fairly quickly and efficiently with, with much less, let's say cost invested before we, you know, the traditional way was to do maybe print campaigns or co-op campaigns with uh, retailers. And it would take you months to see whether or not a product would still have a lift. Instead, now you could literally do it overnight as you invent a product. So, so have you, do you have tangible numbers that you could say that you've, you've seen your, your brand's engagement and consumer acquisition increase before and after? We do share uh, in instances, some of the numbers that we're seeing. Um, and those are numbers that, you know, as, as a company we have provided uh, to be able to show that there is success, success rate. Um, I, I would say that the numbers can you know numbers can always be interpreted in different senses, but I think the coolest thing to really see is the product that's come out of it, and the product that we weren't necessarily delivering before, and how it's changed our company, uh, and the the interactions that we're having with customers. That really gives a lot of feeling and sense on the emotion that that data can bring, and that interaction is significant because it's even longer lasting than let's say just a season of performance. It's really a relationship you're building for a brand. You think that also really helped you guys evolve from, from, you know, just a wholesale base uh, business more to a direct to consumer company, you know, to, to convince a family and to convince an Italian family Carmento company to change its mentality on the things that are important takes quite a lot. And, and obviously data and numbers help, 
but it's the emotion, it's the romance that really can change a company internally. And when you can see that customer interaction, uh, obviously the number helped drive you into the direction, but it allows you to really evolve that. Uh, you can convince the whole organization to change. And we've gone from being, again, a 36-year-old Garmento manufacturer to now being you know, on the fringe of like being as sexy as a startup, right? In terms of our mentality and the way we go after uh, new projects and, and technology. That's very cool because we're, you know, obviously uh, coming from the Seventh Avenue uh, Garmento community, as you would say, most most of these companies are unable to evolve, and unfortunately, they're they're being replaced by by startups or just more innovative, you know, uh, you know, companies. So it's uh, it's 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 nice to hear a, a success story here. Um, Jose, I want to kind of flip it back to you for a second, and I want to get back to the back end a little bit, uh, and specifically around inventory management. Um, it's something just that a lot of companies have been struggling with over the past few years. Um, everyone's trying to you know reduce their inventory levels. Um, uh, some have made head headway on this. Obviously, um, speed to market definitely helps if you're able to bring product in quicker and then you know replenish quicker and uh, get out of stuff quicker, but speed to market has its challenges as well. Um, how could data analytics, how does select help in terms of avoiding things like overstock or even out of stock goods? You know, how does it help solve both of those problems? It's really another really good question. So if you think of the state of retail today, any organization, whether it is a large department store or a specialty retailer uh, in apparel, what they're using is a spreadsheet. So decisions today are being made with spreadsheets, and that's not uncommon. That's just an output of, let's say, the, the, the back-end system for the planning and buying department. Now, where we come in is we are actually optimizing against this. So ultimately, what we're helping to do with via optimization and machine learning is predicting future demand um, which allows the stock to not be to not have an overstock, uh, which results in a markdown and margin erosion ultimately. Um, and we're able to you know reduce stockouts, loss sales. Uh, so what we're really doing is using and leveraging technology in order to create a future scenario of demand, so that it is pretty much addressing what we all know in retail, having the right product at the right place at the right time uh, when a customer's there to purchase it. Because currently uh, what's happening is, and I was a, a former, I spent 23 years um, on the retail side uh, in planning and buying capacities. And essentially with that spreadsheet, um, which is still in use today, I was taking bets taking bets and hoping that my big bets for the buys in the future season would pay off and would offset the bets that I took that weren't so great, which would be my markdowns. But now there's technology uh, like ours, which is able to uh, minimize uh, the risk and maximize return and ultimately margin, right? Because you can't spend revenue. We do increase revenue, but you're really looking for margin because margin. Absolutely. Now for, for Cosabella, um, have you guys started using data to, to help um, on your sourcing and product development decisions or with your product development uh, yeah, decisions? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, what, what 
we've built, we, we didn't have a merchandising planning team that was data driven until maybe about, I'd say established four or five years ago. And then lending into some of this technology and seeing some direct ROI data allowed us to speed up the process in which we'll take decisions to either add things or remove things. And what that requires us to do, obviously, is to work backwards. And when we're sourcing, make sure that we're finding things that fall into these buckets. I think price sensitivity, uh, demographic, and you know, distribution channel those are all things that are definitely sensitive to, uh, you know, even some of these minute pieces of information and being able to have that quick access and be able to react really quickly. I think that's one of our strengths. Uh, the way that we produce, because we produce in Italy and we produce down from the fiber, uh, allows us to really make adjustments from the first, first step of design and production. So, to say that our merchandise and planning team doesn't have a hand in the creativity of our design department would be would be very wrong. And to say that data doesn't have an immediate effect on the specific cuts, specific sizes, specific colors that we're choosing uh, would be wrong as well. I think it's really all tied together. And instinct, again, in fashion is always very important, but but making the right decisions, data definitely has helped drive us uh, drive us there. So, you know, I just came back from, from Shop Talk, and it was uh, a very overwhelming experience. You know, 8,400 people, you know, thousands of companies pitching, you know, their, their technology as the, the saving grace to this, you know, uh, rapidly evolving uh, retail and apparel space. But, you know, Jose, you brought this up before that it's kind of this balance between data and, and a human touch. You know, I know a lot of companies are investing heavily in data scientists, you know, do you, do you think the key here is for everyone to go out and, and hire a bunch, of, a bunch of PhDs and mathematicians, or do you still think the, the merchant uh, is alive and is required in this business? Or do you think companies um, that uh, the birch boxes and the stitch fixes and that are really, um, you know, priding themselves on, on algorithm driven purchasing and, and saying that they know their customer better than everyone else because of their uh, ability to not only gain data, but synthesize it and analyze it and, uh, and, and, you know, make purchases off of it. What do you guys kind of think? And I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. It's too, it's too early in, in just, just this new economy uh, to, to figure it out. But what, what's your sense on that? Um, do you think everyone should go out and just hire a bunch of PhDs to, to fix their problems? It really depends, right? I mean, it, it, it's a really good question. You're right, and there was a lot of a lot, lot of tracks in Shop Talk. A lot of good tracks. Um, part of part of it is understanding what kind of company you are, right? So, if you're a digitally native company, uh, much like uh, let's say uh, Warby Parker, or let's say an Everlane, or a company that, that started online but has some in has has moved in store it's a little bit easier to start with hiring maybe some data scientists, right, uh, internally. On the other hand, if you're a legacy retailer uh, or a digital immigrant, which is another term uh, for legacy retailers, uh, people that are trying to infuse technology but hasn't been there with them from the beginning, like uh, a Macy's, not that they don't have the technology, but that, that's an example of a digital immigrant that's been around for over 100 years, it's a different story. So I guess the answer really, Edward, is it depends, right? If you're big enough and you have the wherewithal uh, as a large retailer, uh, doesn't matter what type, 
like a Walmart, for example, or perhaps a Macy's, in some instances, it may uh, make sense to to hire an internal team to help you. But at the same time, that's not going to be the, the end-all be-all because there are plenty of uh, great technologies out there. On the other hand, if you were to look at other models, um, it, it, it you just begin that way. You just are. Like you mentioned, Stitch Fix, Birchbox, these companies were born within the last 10 years or less. And they were able to kind of capture the trend and start from scratch. So it's kind of like saying, um, I exist for 100 years, let's say even 50 years, uh, but I have to adapt. That's one way. So it might work to outsource in some instances, not all. But really the answer that I'm trying to get at to distill it in its most raw form is it depends on what stage you are in a company. And there really, to your point, isn't really a right or wrong answer. The only right or wrong answer is what is right for you at your stage as a retail retailer. Uh, do you think there's, is there a retailer or a brand out there that you would say would not benefit from using Select right now? I know that's, that's a difficult uh, question to answer, obviously, <laughs> you could be, but you know. <laughs> no, I, I'd like to say that Look, our, our view is that inventory is probably your your biggest uh, asset on, on the balance sheet. And in retail, we're in the business of, of inventory, right? We're always purchasing. So in terms of being able to answer one of the four questions, which directly tie back to our four solutions, I think that there's room for improvement or optimizing, which is what we're doing, the inventory. So I, I, I think that I'm not going to say all, um, you know, everyone has different ideas and I'm not going to tell people what they should believe, but I think there's always room for improvement. So there, there is room at least to investigate what we're doing um, in, in our space, which is really optimizing the inventory. Guido, what do you think? I mean, what's, what's your advice to companies out there looking to, to embrace uh, data analytics? Well, I, I think if there's a curiosity or if you have a point of curiosity or doubt, you have to explore it, right? So I think shying away from anything that keeps you up at night is, is uh, especially, again, in a family-owned environment, a problem because it means that others around you are thinking the same thing. It means that probably your customers are thinking similar things. So you have to find the right way to explore it. And usually you'll find those resources around you. As, as a company, we really saw you know, that there is so much great talent in retailers. And as retailers shifted and changed, a lot of that talent would leave or, or exit. And the idea is if we really want to understand those systems or understand those ways of thinking, you know, why not find people who, who definitely have that skill set? And, and I do think right now there's, there's an abundance of that. Uh, so if somebody wants to explore that, it's, it's close enough to looking at your nearest customers and, and seeing the adjustments that have happened and finding those right people, I think, that think or understand a little bit of your history and what you're looking for. On the other hand, you know, I think looking at, you know, the world of technology and where we were in, in a way falling behind was that there is a whole other way of looking at things. There is a whole other way to understand your inventory and, and how to make it efficient that doesn't relate to the old way of retail. Uh, especially when you're considering direct-to-consumer inventory, because Abella has this conundrum every day where, you know, it was great for us to be able to turn and cycle our inventory in a usual pattern with retailers and, and have some open to buy there for them. Now we're finding that we're, you know, we're shipping and delivering the product that we're supposed to deliver, and we need to make sure that we also have stock and we're not 
losing out on those opportunities and also upsetting the customers. So do I believe that, you know, you always have to be looking and researching and understanding? Absolutely. I think sitting still and coasting uh, doesn't exist. Maybe, maybe it did. I, I haven't. Oh, definitely not anymore. I'll my, say that. My, my not in my career. My parents said that there was a moment where it was easier, but honestly, I have to say that from when I came into the business, you know, about 12, 13 years ago to now, uh, obviously there hasn't been a six month period that's been the same. So uh, I think the the wonderful thing is that there's a lot of great, intuitive, intelligent people out there creating some amazing products and creating some amazing ways to look at things. And even just having the conversation, uh, you know, that doesn't hurt. And I think what we've done as a brand is we've stayed open to conversation. I think we're a great beta brand because there's a lot of really cool data and really uh, good information to consume. So if you're a brand that has that element, you know, reaching out to vendors is great too because you never know the partnerships you might find and being part of technology uh, at the beginning is really cool because you learn quite a bit as well. So that's helped us. Well, in addition to just being a smarter merchant and, and, and purchasing more efficiently and marketing more efficiently, did, did you realize that there's maybe new product categories or new SKUs that you should be offering uh, that maybe you weren't offering before if it wasn't for Albert or maybe some of this data that you you know have had access to now? A hundred percent. And I will tell you, we actually, one of the categories we have right now, which is a beautiful gem and, and, and you don't, I don't necessarily want to blurt out the secret, but we found it because of an error that Albert actually made. We actually noticed that there was a little blip in the success rate and we questioned where did that came, come from? And we realized that there was a white space that Albert spotted, but didn't go after. And we said, wait a second, why don't we manually try to attack this and see what's there? And it opened up an amazing world. So what we saw is that, you know, it, there, there was some scrubbing happening, but from a little further personal human and kind of, you know, instinctual insight, we were able to uh, adapt and go after, uh, you know, a new segment. I think that's the coolest and, and kind of greatest thing about what the internet can offer you is it makes you rethink every single category, every single industry, every opportunity to say, hey, are we doing this like the funnest, nicest, most luxurious or uh, right way that people are looking for? Or is it just a commodity space? And I think that's what we've been able to shake up. Yeah, just, just one more question for you. Um, who in your company is responsible for really handling um, Albert, you know, what, um, is there, is there someone on the IT side? Is there someone that specifically, did you hire a data scientist? Uh, are you doing it? Um, we, we implemented it with the team that we had on hand and it was a, uh, you know, a great marketing team that merged in. We decided to merge our marketing department with our IT department and what was our e-commerce department that was really just, you know, a front of house for delivering product. And this team in in not just Albert, but in sub, with several other vendors and things we've implemented, has really grown um, to understand and use uh, the products. But what's really cool is the dashboards are super functional nowadays. I think what you know what the apps have done for us is it's taught a lot of the you know tech and vendors how to make things so instinctual and, and applicable to every day. So a lot of people can learn and function and use them. So it wasn't. A, you know, it wasn't somebody hired specifically for or from the outside, but really people that grew into it. And it's exciting because I think it empowered our team. And the whole AI talk is about how to, you know, replace your team or, or you know, create efficiencies that way. And that's not what we found. We found that made our team more creative, made them ask more questions and ultimately deliver more. 
So. Jose, what do you what, what's your findings? Um, when when people are um, electing to to bring select into their 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 business, who's usually handling it? Is it is it the marketing department? Is it the, the e-commerce department? Um, or is it are they bringing in someone specifically like a um, you know a mathematician or a data scientist to to handle this? Actually, you, usually it, it's um, so with the first three solutions, the ply. Uh, the plan buy and allocate what to buy, how much to buy, where to put it, uh, which is part of the MPNA process. It's usually the head of planning, so they're business people and buyers, right? So, so it's usually the head of planning that works in tandem with buyers. On the other, on the flip side, with fulfillment, usually that's a supply chain, right? That's a head of supply chain. And w- in terms of adoption, it really. D- it's it, we take the approach, which is look, we're, we're not replacing anything. What we really are doing with all of these things is providing guardrails where they didn't have guardrails before. So earlier, I think I mentioned that uh, as a former planner and former buyer, as much as it pains me to say that, I don't like being uh, former, but that, that that's what I was. I wish I still was <laughs> to a certain extent because I, I will always be a planner and a buyer at heart. Um, is the fact that it's tough to make the decision. So let's say I'm going to make this up um, and try to visualize for everyone since, since we're on a, on a podcast. If Let's take a blue blazer. If I had to pick a blue blazer that was a fashion uh, blue blazer, right, that wasn't your typical one, but what had like it was like maybe uh, with peak lapels and double side vents and maybe it had a colorful undercolor and something a little bit more menswear with, with a twist, if you will. How do you know how well it would sell or how your customer would, would actually take it? It's tough, right? It would have been tough, a tough call to make. And it's kind of like, well, I have something that kind of looks like this, but not exactly. And I have my basic blue blazer, but it's not exactly that. So the question is, how do I use it? So it's a guardrail, right? Now, I think you could use us in a way that it goes into your process, and it's both human intuition along with the guardrail or, let's say, the the machine learning uh, recommendations that we're given. You know, I, I promised myself that when we started this podcast, we try to keep it to 30 minutes. I think we're a little bit over, so uh, I'm going to try to wrap it up. I think um, this is just the beginning of, of, uh, of a long conversation and the beginning of what I think is going to be an evolution in our industry. Um, clearly, Select is going nowhere, and I think more and more companies are going to be uh, engaging with your software. And I think um, uh, in terms of Cosabella, I think it's amazing to see, um, as you said, um, to see a family-owned um, you know, Garmento business really transform itself um, at a time when many companies are unable to do that is really a, a great success story. And you know, I wish you, I wish you both... Uh, the best of luck. Um, just um, for any of our listeners that would love to get in contact with you guys, ask you questions, learn more about your businesses, what's the best way that they could reach out to you? Sure. My my case, this is uh, Jose Chan from Select. They could just email me. So it's Jose, my first name, J-O-S-E, at select, C-E-L-E-C-T dot com. Thank you, Jose. And I really appreciate you uh, being with us today. And uh, this is Guido, and you could do the same. Email me at guido at cosabella.com, G-U-I-D-O at C-O-S-A-B-E-L-L-A.com. All right. Again, thank you both very much for your time. Thank you.